0: Morning. This morning's Bible reading is from 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 to 24. Page 122 7 in the Blue Pew Bibles. Let us read together. Verse 18. Little children, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. By the spirit whom he has given us this is the word of god
1: important time together is our time of prayer pastor would you come and lead us in pastoral prayer john chapter 3 as we continue our series on the children of god let me pray before i come to help us hopefully understand the scriptures, the word of God. Father, we look at your word. We believe it's your word. We know that you speak to us. Give us power to understand by the by your Holy Spirit that we might hear what you say and that you might give us strength to obey. We ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you like flying? Most of us like flying because you go somewhere exciting. But But the whole flying process, I find it rocks my sense of assurance. And you know what's bad about flying today? Things have changed with flying. It used to be you'd go to the travel agent and they'd take all your details and they'd give you a ticket and you'd walk up to the airport and you'd hand over your ticket and they'd let you on the plane. I don't have that sense of assurance when I fly these days. I get online, I Get given a number. I get to print out some pieces of paper. I take my rough little pieces of paper, stuffed in my bag to the airport, thinking, "Is anybody care? I've only got a piece of paper from my printer." And then you get to the airport, and frankly, they're not even interested in the piece of paper from your printer. I haven't got a ticket. Are they going to let me on the plane? I find that very nerve wracking. Every time I, t- I know I've done it before. Every time I go, I say, "I'd really like a ticket." Not a piece of paper that you're not interested in. It gets worse though, doesn't it? Because I've watched aircraft investigations. You ever watch that show? (laughs) I'm watching the pilots. Thinking, it could be you, mate. I remember German wings. Then I'm looking at the other passengers. Where's your bombs in your shoes? Let alone looking at the engines. You know, you stand there before you get on. You look at the plane, you think, please, baby, please stay up in the sky. I don't want to crash today. It robs a sense of assurance. But the truth is, while not fail safe, so flying is incredibly safe. And actually you don't need a ticket. You really don't. It works. I should have assurance. Assurance is something that every Christian should have, and it's a big issue in the Christian life. You know, you've taken your seat with Jesus. You've put your faith in him. But have am I really allowed to sit here? Am I good enough to be on this flight to heaven? Will God accept me? And many Christians struggle. Will God accept me? Many unbelievers don't struggle too. Some people think, oh, God's just going to accept me. I'm all right. Well, what makes you think you're all right? Am I a real Christian? Am I a child of God? It's a big issue, and it might be a big issue for you in your Christian life or your non-Christian life. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, he struggled with assurance. He became a monk. He wanted to pursue holiness if you like, to have that assurance that he was on his way to glory. I'm reading from a biography by a fellow called uh, Ronald Baton and he writes this. One of the privileges of the monastic life was that it emancipated the sinner from all distractions and freed him to save his soul by practicing the counsels of perfection. Not simply charity, sobriety, and love, but chastity, poverty, obedience, fastings, vigils, and mortifications of the flesh. Whatever good works a man might do to save himself, these Luther was resolved to perform. He was going to be a great monk. He didn't do things by half measure. Martin Luther he fasted sometimes three times on end without a three days on end without a crumb. He laid upon himself vigils and prayers in excess of those stipulated by the rule of the monastery. He cast off the blankets, permitted him, and would not well nigh, froze himself to death. At times he was proud of his sanctity and would say, I have done nothing wrong today. Then misgivings would arise. Have you fasted enough? Are you poor enough? He would then strip himself of all, save that which decency required. He wrote, I was a good monk, and I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other works. And the writer says, all such drastic methods gave him no sense of inner tranquility. The purpose of his striving was to compensate for his sins, but he could never feel that the ledger was balanced. Martin Luther the monk had no assurance despite his greatest efforts because sin kept rising its ugly head. And as long as he kept looking at himself, he found no assurance. You know, Martin Luther did find assurance, and he did it not by looking at himself, but by looking at the Scriptures, the Bible, the Psalms, and particularly the Book of Romans. But he could have just as well looked at the little letter of 1 John to find assurance, the passage we're looking at today. We're in our series, Children of God. And John is writing to Christians whose assurance in Christ has been undermined. False teachers have risen within the church and they're offering a new and a better way to salvation. It's not fully based upon the work of Jesus but upon special knowledge, special techniques, special spiritual tricks, secret tricks. And John writes to warn these Christians and to give them assurance. He keeps on banging the drum over and over again, repeated ideas from slightly different angles if you've been through the series, particularly remain in the faith you first heard. Love one another as true evidence of your faith. Put your faith in Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God who came in the flesh. Keep saying these same messages. Don't be deceived. And in the passage, this short passage we're looking at today, he spells out, the grounds for their assurance that you are a child of God. Now, if you're struggling today, this may well be a message for you. Am I a child of God? And if you're not struggling today, perhaps falsely thinking that you're in when you're not, maybe this is a message for you. What does it mean to have assurance that I am one of God's children? Well, there's three aspects, and it's sort of like a triangle of assurance, really. These three aspects to know that you're a child of God that build more down than up. The first aspect of assurance that John brings our attention to is that we can have assurance when we see our faith being expressed in love. John has said this a number of times already, back in chapter 2, verse 10. Just listen to what he says. He doesn't mince words. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Chapter 3, verse 14. We looked at this last week. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love his brother remains in death. How can you know if you are a genuine Christian? Well, firstly, your faith... Must be expressed in love. In the passage today, verse 18, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we will know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. John is not talking about wishy washy feelings of love or thoughts of love or even words of love. Wishful thinking is not enough. He's not even talking about duty. Oh, I've done what I'm supposed to do. This is love in action and truth. Love as Jesus loved. Sacrificial love for the good of others. See, what John is saying is that what we do and how we behave, that is our works, provide grounds for our assurance. If you do not love others, if you are selfish and proud and greedy, it is reasonable to question whether you indeed are a child of God. You see, having been brought into a new relationship with God through Jesus, our new life, having been made a child of God, our status must change how we behave. We need to reflect the family values in our behaviour. We must love as God loves. And if you don't, question whether you do. Whether you are a child. And there's the trick, isn't it? Because who amongst us loves as God loves? How does God love? Well, I looked at this at communion. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Here's the scary thing because the gap between my love And that of Jesus is so vast and broad and deep and wide. None of us can meet such a high standard. I certainly can't. Left feeling a little bit like Martin Luther, aren't we? I am. I can't love as Jesus. If John's trying to comfort us and assure us, and then he says that our love must be like the love of Jesus... Well, what is that? Because my love is so less perfect. We're caught in a conundrum. Because the fundamental Christian belief, Martin Luther's life-changing discovery, as he read the book of Romans, is that we are saved by our faith, not our works. In fact, all our righteousness is like filthy rags. Our good deeds contribute nothing towards our right standing with God. And yet John says that if we fail to love our brother or our sister, how can the love of Christ be in us? I fail to love every day. And if we don't love, if we don't have these works of love expressed, then we have no grounds for assurance. Our hearts are at one stage supposed to be confident and assured in Christ, by faith, and yet at the same time we are to be judging the thoughts and intentions of our hearts against such a high standard and so our hearts may well condemn. There's a conundrum. And John, I think, addresses this very conundrum. Look at verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth, And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. I think what John is saying is yes, we fail to meet God's standards. And yes, our hearts may well condemn, but that does not disqualify us. Because we are saved by faith in Jesus. His righteousness, as we've remembered at Communion, is what makes us righteous. That will never change. But God knows our hearts. And our oversensitive consciences may magnify failure and obscure real and genuine growth. Indeed, if you are growing as a Christian, if the Spirit of God is at work in you, you will become more aware of sin, more aware of shortcoming, not less. And whilst we might get confused, am I good enough? God sees everything in perfect perspective and his greatness should be a consolation because he is more powerful than our anxiety and our lack of assurance. We may not be able to forgive ourselves. Our hearts may condemn us as Satan encourages us to doubt, but it's the Lord's verdict that counts, not our own hearts. So can you see that we've got both a challenge and a comfort? A challenge and a comfort that's intrinsic to the Christian life. If you're a believer, this will be part of your life. Challenge because our faith must express itself in real actions of love, constantly. Comfort because our standards need not be, indeed cannot be, God's standards. Let me give you an illustration. I hope this helps. When I first started at Pennant Hills as pastor we did not own the house we lived in we lived in the church house the manse or some people call it a rectory or a parsonage it's owned by the church there was no lease agreement i had very very little legal standing to be living in that house it was house what assurance did i have that if i went home at night that there would be a bed Me to sleep in a room, a house. Well, part of my assurance should have been that the church had set aside the manse for the pastor to live in. And if I kept performing the duties of a pastor, if I kept praying and preaching and loving, then I should have had assurance through my works I'm doing the work of a pastor. Therefore, I can stay in the church house for the pastor. Do you see? Now, sometimes my heart would condemn me. What a hopeless pastor. I am so bad. I am so unrighteous. What am I doing this for? But I still had the house to live in as long as I kept. And by by doing the work of a pastor, I could assure myself that, yes, I am a pastor. I can stay in this house. This is for me. But can you also say that my heart was not the judge of whether I was worthy to stay in the house or not? Your hearts were. Your judgment was what counted. The church. And that should have set my heart at ease, even if I was condemning myself, because my standard was higher than what I could reasonably accomplish. In the same way, If we stop loving and living as a child of God, then yes, there are grounds for your assurance in Christ to be small. If you are selfish and proud and greedy and arrogant all the time, self-serving, deceitful, I do not want you to have great assurance. Because Christians don't live that way. But that is not the foundation. The foundation, a child of God. And sometimes our hearts will condemn and say, you're hopeless, but we're not the judge. God is the judge. He prepares for us an eternal home. We might look at the gap in despair, but God deals with the gap. It's not our job to. We're just called every day to keep living as a child of God, to doing the work of a Christian, seeking forgiveness when we fail. John Newton was a former slave trader, a man, quite a wicked man in so many ways. But he wrote to him, Amazing Grace. And he used to say the following at the breakfast table during family prayers. He would say, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. Yet I can truly say, I am not what I once was. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I think that's the sort of assurance John speaks of here. Assurance of works, if you like. We can have that assurance when we see our faith, even in faltering ways, being expressed in love. But our hope must never fundamentally be in our works, but in our Saviour who is full of mercy and who knows our hearts. This leads us to the second aspect, the greater foundation for our assurance. Our pyramid grows, starting from the top and working down. The foundation that supports our works, our deeds of love, is faith. John contrasts a believer who has doubting faith, small faith, whose heart condemns them, with a believer who has confident faith and assurance. This person does not put their confidence in themselves that they have loved enough, but in Jesus that he has loved enough. Have a look at verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. Assurance of God. Can you see how assurance transforms our prayer life? We receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. We have confidence before God. I am sure you've had relationships where you're always on guard. You feel a little bit uneasy. You're wondering if with this person you're good enough, maybe a boss, maybe a friend. Always wondering, what does that person think? Contrast that with a relationship where you feel as though you can relax and be yourself and say what's on your mind because you trust the person you're relating to. You have faith in them and their character. Now, God is more faithful than any of us. He can be trusted. So when we have faith in His character, we can approach Him with confidence. Know that He is our Heavenly Father. Ask for what? Ask and receive. If you know God, you will seek His will and you will pray in accordance with His will. And you'll want to please Him in everything you do because you've got that relationship. Such faith brings great assurance. We trust God. We trust God even to do the works of love that we do. This is so far from any concept that we keep hearing about, this concept of an airy-fairy faith, some where you sort of throw some sort of spiritualized hope up in the air, hoping it will fall upon some worthy divine object. Oh, I just have faith. I'm sort of... Woof, What is faith for the Bible? Well, verse 23 is just about as good a summary of biblical saving faith as you'll find anywhere in the Bible. Verse 23, and this is his command. You know, we're going to do what he commands. This is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Firstly, biblical belief or biblical faith is never passive acknowledgement of truths or facts. It's never just throwing things out there saying, I believe, I don't care about anything else, I believe. True faith will always act because the implications of what you believe in will be worked out in your life. You will love other people if you put your faith in Jesus. But secondly, there's another aspect. See if you can pick it up. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. We believe in the person, Jesus. And because we believe in the person Jesus, because we put our faith in the object of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will do what Jesus commands us to do. Because faith is only ever as good as its object. If you're trusting in something untrustworthy, your faith is poorly placed. We put our faith in Jesus, and because we put our faith in Jesus, we really believe, and therefore we do what He commands us to do. Because we put our faith in Him as Saviour and Lord. And that is the basis for our assurance, Jesus and his finished work. Let me go back to the example of living in the church, manse, the house. Why should a pastor be confident that they will have a house to go home to at night when they've got no legal tenure on that house? Well, I've already mentioned that if they keep doing the work of a pastor, then they should have confidence us has been set aside for those who do the work of a pastor. But there should be a greater reason for confidence. That is, their faith in those who have made promises to them. That is, the church and its leaders. See, when I came to Pennant Hills as pastor, the church promised me, and the leaders promised me, that I could live in the church house as long as I served as pastor. I, on my part, had to trust their promises. The promise still stands. I can live in the house. My faith was in their good character, even though it wasn't bound up with a. My faith in their good character underpinned my assurance that I would have a house to live in. And if a relationship between a pastor and the church is strong, they will live in their house and willingly undertake the duties of a pastor because the house supports their ministry. That's what it's there for. It's motivated by relationship and faith or trust. Why am I sure that I will see the Lord Jesus in his kingdom, in glory, in heaven? Because I have come to place my trust In Jesus as my Saviour and Lord. I trust His promise more than I trust my own works. His death in my place on the cross guarantees my forgiveness and acceptance despite my failings. Because I believe in Him as Saviour and Lord, I seek to do what He commands. I endeavour to love as He loved. You see, my faith in the Lord should give me assurance that I am indeed a child of God because He has made the promise and He has acted to win my security. However, you know, there's an even greater basis for our confidence, our assurance. That's even a, an even broader base for this triangle of assurance. The most stable ground for our assurance, the foundation that can never be shaken is that our faith is the gift of God. Our confidence must be in the new birth of God by His Spirit. God has been at work in the hearts which were dead to Him to make them alive. The Father gives the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is God living in us as a seal, as a guarantee, as a down payment, an assurance that we are indeed His children. And the Holy Spirit does the work of changing us and producing good works, fruit of love in our lives. Can you see that the whole package, the whole triangle, is the gift of God, our faith, our works? John says here in verse 23, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded. Those who obey his commands live or abide in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. We know it by his gift of new life by the Holy Spirit. John uses one of his favourite words, which is the word "abide" or "remain." My version translates it as "live," but that is that those who obey Jesus remain in Him; they abide in Him, and He remains or abides in them. Now, if you're going to stay somewhere, if you're going to abide in my, come to my house and abide there, remain there, you need to be invited. You need to be called. Can you see there are no squatters in the Lord Jesus Christ? You cannot be in him without calling, without the invite. And he extends an open invite. Again, let me use the illustration of the church man to hopefully help you see how this assurance works, this gift works. Why should a pastor have assurance that they can live in the church house and have somewhere to go home to at night? Well, if they keep doing the work of a pastor, they can say, I'm doing the work of a pastor, therefore I must be serving as a pastor, therefore I can live in the house of the pastor. Fair enough? But there's a greater reason. Hold it, they promised me that they would let me live in the house. I can trust their promise. So I know that I'm secure to live in the promise because they're trustworthy people. But there's a greater reason. Why should a pastor know that he has a house to live in? Because he or she was called by the church. The house comes with the call, the invite, the gift. And as long as that call remains, the pastor can remain living in the man's. Can you see the call is more foundational than even the promises or the works? though all are important. And here is where my analogy falls down. Pastors can fail. Sometimes churches need to get rid of pastors and say, stop living in our house. Not just pastors who can fail, churches can fail, and they often do. They can act dreadfully and say, get out, we don't want you anymore because you did this or we don't like you anymore. Over a petty matter, get out of our house. But the call of the living God is irrevocable. If he has called you and welcomed you into his kingdom, you are secure. You can abide. You can remain. And this gift of abiding and remaining, secured by the Holy Spirit, is all a gift. Can you see how our assurance finds its firmest foundation Not in our works, not even our faith, which you might at times think of as a work, but in the call and the gift of God. Secured by the Lord Jesus through his death on the cross. If we are united with Christ, if we come to trust in the Lord Jesus, if we have therefore his spirit granted to us, God living in us, then our heavenly inheritance is a secure As the Son of God is secure in the presence of His Father. Because we are in Him. We are secure. You have assurance. I am a child of God because of the gift of God that I receive by faith, that I express in my life. It's all of grace. It all starts with God. So can you sing? Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God. Born of his spirit. Washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song praising my Savior all the day long. Can you sing that? We struggle, don't we? I struggle. It's a battle. And the reason it's a battle is because Satan is at work. He is accusing you, he is desperately trying to get you off track and lead you astray. And he's trying to make you look for assurance in all the wrong places. The only good thing about the devil is that his tactics never change same tricks over and over again so i just want to finish with a challenge to try and help you determine how the how the satan is trying to get you off track and help you lose your assurance have you lose your assurance that should be your irrevocable possession and maybe as i go through these challenges maybe i'll be also challenging you because you don't have assurance because you shouldn't have assurance because you've never been on the track of faith in the lord jesus and you're using all these other things to tell, you, tell yourself that you're okay, but you're not okay. Because the only way is accepting the gift of God and putting your faith in Jesus and His finished work on the cross and letting the Spirit work so that you produce works of righteousness. That's the only way. So how can you be led off track? Well, John's addressed all these issues in his book. Perhaps one of the most common, like Martin Luther, is you try and find assurance through your good works. It's the lie of Satan that only by good works can you find assurance. That's the lie of Satan. I've been to church. I've been generous. I gave money to help Baby Miracle or Nepal. I've, I've done this sort of worship activity. Actually, I'm better than those people there. And so you tally up all your supposed good works and then try to assure yourself that God can't help but be impressed. Well, Martin Luther tried. And I can promise you, you're not trying as hard as Martin Luther did. And he was perceptive enough to say, it ain't working. I've got no assurance because I just keep failing. There is no righteousness outside of faith in Jesus Christ. There is no being a child of God outside of faith in Jesus Christ. There is no assurance in works by themselves. Perhaps it's experience that will give you assurance. If I've had this experience, this spiritual height, then surely God loves me and I'm in his kingdom. There's so many people trying to tell us you need to do this, you need to experience that. If you haven't had this or do that, you're not a Christian. That's nonsense. Even material blessings by some are seen as a proof of God's hand in your life. What nonsense. It could be a proof that you're a complete and not a successful criminal. And the devil can counterfeit just about every experience. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't give us true and real experiences of spiritual life and power. But if you're relying upon experiences for your assurance, you have none. Because you will get to the moment where you get off the mountain and you fall down here and there is no experience and try to manufacture them as you might. You cannot. Perhaps knowledge. Maybe some of you are trying to get assurance through your knowledge. If you know your Bible well enough, If you can tick off certain doctrines, I sometimes worry, you know, I believe all these things and it's just doctrines. It's being a smarty pants. I'm an expert in theology. I can argue against that heresy. Surely now I have grounds for assurance. Some people are so busy ticking boxes, crossing T's and dotting I's that they don't even know Jesus. their doctrine becomes a block to humility which becomes a blockage to the cross. Knowledge is no grounds for assurance. I don't care how clever you are, how many doctrines you know. What about associating with others? You know, if I hang around with people from church. Like Pastor John knows my name. (laughs) Or maybe better than that, maybe you know, Philip Jensen or Billy Graham, I don't know. Maybe somebody knows your name. Surely that means you're a Christian. If I keep the traditions of the church, if I've been baptized, I'm a member, I'm on the church roll, none of that, none of that, none of that gives you assurance. Because you all know what your heart's like and what your life's like and the externals mean nothing. If you're trusting in any of those things, my guess is you cannot sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Because you're trusting in all the wrong things. John reminds us of the grounds we have for a blessed assurance. He tells us how to stay on track. It's the triangle of assurance. God must first act and give you the gift of His Spirit so that you are united with the Lord Jesus Christ. If He does that, you're as secure as you ever will be for all eternity. And that gift is appropriated through faith. Faith in Jesus as the Son of God, Lord of all. Faith that brings us into eternal relationship with God, security, a faith and a relationship that we learn to live out day and day, little by little as God's Spirit works in us, where we trust and obey and bring all things to Him and He changes us so that we increasingly produce, even in our fallen measure, acts of love and service. That is, our faith works. Gift, faith, works. Grounds for assurance, grounds for hope both for today and for eternity. Let me pray.